Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Hope this morning. We're so glad that you're here today. If you're visiting with us here or online, welcome. We're just so thankful that you chose to come with us this morning and worship our Father in Heaven. And if you have not filled out the tablet or the card in the back, um, please do so before you leave just so we can have your information and get to know you better. Um, we're just blessed to be here. It has been, um, it's been a long week, I feel like, at New Hope. We, we got to celebrate a marriage, and we also got to celebrate a homegoing, which they said yesterday for Miss Catherine. So um, there's just a lot of feelings and, and things that we've all gone through and memories that we've thought about from all parts of life this week. So I'm thankful that we're all here together to celebrate the Lord and knowing that um, sweet Miss Catherine is now at home with him. And, and I think it's just a wonderful day, the day after, to celebrate and rejoice in the Holy Spirit because we know where she is and um, where we all get a chance to go if we choose. It's an exciting day today. We have a guest speaker, which is our wonderful secretary, Jennifer. Um, and if you have not met her yet, you have got to meet her. She is amazing and a blessing to us and the reason why Russ and I probably have gained weight lately because of her amazing cooking. Um, but her husband, Pastor Tony Burnett, is here this morning, and we're very thankful that he gets to share the words from the Lord with us today. Um, there's a lot of information about him, which y'all can read it probably better than I can read it out loud in my quick speaking. So if you would just look at that about him. Just a couple announcements. I want to remind you that we have our prayer time tonight, so please join me in prayer in the sanctuary. Um, it, it, I'm not going to make you pray and I know that can be nerve-wracking, like, oh, we're going to come in the sanctuary and pray together. Actually, we're not going to be in the sanctuary. If Angie Chambers is here, she'll remind me. We are going to be um, probably in the conference room downstairs. Um, you know what? I'm going to change that. We're going to be in the Hope Center. We're going to be praying in the Hope Center because our wonderful youth are practicing for the Vacation Bible School skit. So we're going to be in the Hope Center at 4.30 tonight. Please join me in just a time of prayer or silent prayer or whatever you feel the Lord calling you to do. Um, tonight we have our normal, regular attending things. We have the Acteens, Challengers, and Kids Night. And don't forget, July 30th, it's big and in the bulletin. So mark it on your calendars. We're going to have a great time with that. Um, let Oh, Gary. If you have not gotten a ballot and you are a member, a voting member, please raise your hand so that he can hand you a ballot for some nominations that we have. Um, so if you have not gotten the stapled forms and you need one, please raise your hand. I think we are good. Thank you. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. But before we do, I do this every week. Sorry. Next week is Youth Sunday, so please come. A lot of you are on vacation. A lot of our youth are going to be out of town. And... Uh, it is going to be very different, but please come if you can and invite friends or whoever to hear from the youth about and the kids about what God has done in their life this year and at camp and see some wonderful videos and worship in song the way that we worshiped this summer. So, okay, let's bow our heads now and pray. Father in heaven, how great your name is. I feel so unworthy to even speak to you, but because of your redemption plan, because you saved us from, from all that we should have gone through. The punishment that we should have. You have given us a way out. A way to reconnect with you. To restore that relationship that we broke. Because of your love. And I thank you God so much for that. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you so much that you love us more than we can even imagine and at times, as a mom, I try to imagine that love because my love for my children is so overwhelming, but your love is so much greater than that, and I'm in awe of it. Lord, I pray that this morning we are in awe of you, that as we sing unto you, the words that we sing bring joy to you. Lord, you hold us accountable for what we say in our prayers and our thoughts and all the things when we are followers of you, Lord when we have the Holy Spirit in us. So I just pray that, that we worship in truth and in sincerity, um, that, we, that we think of the words that we say and pray and sing, that, that we understand, Lord, the, what that means in our relationship with you. I just pray that your Spirit moves us in each different ways. Those that are filled with the Spirit, Lord, that have come to you and, and wanted to give their lives for you, like just, Lord, please, 
put them on the path. If, if it's a reset this morning, if they need a word from you that, that they've been longing for, let that come out through um, our pastor today and through the songs or prayer, whatever your spirit needs to do, let it be clear to each of us. And Lord, if there are people in this congregation that have not received your spirit, have not decided that they are going to follow you and given their life to you, Lord, move them in the ways they need. Let them understand what that means, that that eternal life starts today. So I pray that over each soul here, Lord, how great it is that we get to be in a relationship with you, the God of the universe, the creator of all things. We love you so much, and we give you this time to bring you praise, Holy Spirit. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, New Hope Baptist Church. Thank you for that greeting. It's good to see you this morning. Some of you already met when I was here uh, with, with Jennifer back at the, uh, the Easter ministry you guys had. And uh, I remember I was, being, I was impressed that day at what a great uh, turnout you had, both in terms of the community and in terms of the church uh, serving and ministering those folks. And I saw the uh, love that you had for them. I saw your heart for the community, and I've heard good things from Jennifer about all the things you're doing to minister in this community, and I just want to commend you for that. Thank you for being an active, uh, loving, ministering church that is doing whatever you can to reach out to the community of Earl. Uh, thank you for that. And thank you also for the way that you have, have welcomed my wife, Jennifer, as your church secretary. Uh, 
she had some mighty big shoes to fill, as you all know. Uh, when a woman serves as long and as well and as faithfully as Catherine did, um, it can be kind of intimidating to step in and try to fill that role. But you all have been so kind and welcoming to her, and I really appreciate that. I know she does too. And I know you've also experienced some of the, uh, the gifts that she has for uh, uh, her talent for crafts and her talent for baking and cooking. Uh, her talent for baking is, to a large extent, why I'm as big as I am, so you can understand that. But uh, I heard Mary say earlier that she and Russ might have put on a pound or two as a result of the goodies that Jennifer brings with her. But uh, in fact, when we, we went to deliver some food the other night to uh, the home there where uh, Catherine's family was, somebody said as we walked up, there comes the New Hope Bakery. And uh, so I realized her, her reputation's already gotten around for that. But uh, she, she already loves you and obviously enjoys serving you as a church, as your secretary, and, and I appreciate you loving her and welcoming her the way you have. And thanks for welcoming me this morning. You don't know me as well as you do her, but just kind of cut me some slack and give me grace because of her this morning. I know you love her, just try to put up with me. Uh, but it is a privilege to be here with you. I appreciate you allowing me to come and share the word with you this morning. And uh, we will look in God's word together. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you want to turn in your Bibles so you can follow along during the message, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> and I'd like to invite you, if you would, to just stand with me as I read the scripture, just in honor and respect for God's word. If, if you would stand with me, if you're able, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. God's word says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he uh, stood by the lake of Gennesaret, meaning, he meaning Jesus, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Then he, again meaning Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that was taken. And also, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Would you bow with me for prayer once again? <clears throat> Dear Lord, we ask you to honor your word this morning. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that we have it in our own language. We can read it in our native tongue, and we can understand clearly what you're saying to us. And I pray that you would speak clearly to us through it this morning, and that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts and lives the way that it needs to be applied for each individual. Help me to be a conduit of your truth and a, and a faithful messenger of your word this morning. Help us to be faithful hearers and doers of what we receive from you today, we humbly ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I appreciate you standing. <clears throat> so let me set the stage for us this morning for this scripture we just read. If you can, try to picture where this is taking place and what is taking place. The scene is the shore of the lake, as it's called here, Lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret's actually a fishing village kind of on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It is morning. It's a fishing village, so there are fishermen on the seashore doing what they do right after a night of fishing. They're cleaning out the debris from their nets. They're mending any tears or holes in their nets. 
And they're probably very tired at this point because they've been fishing all night, and they're just ready to go home and get some sleep so they can be refreshed before they start another cycle of fishing later that evening. There are other people there on the seashore as well. Perhaps it's their normal routine to come to the shore and buy fish from the fishermen so they get the pick of the fresh catch rather than wait until those fish show up at the market a few hours later. Or perhaps they're there because they heard Jesus was in the area and they came just to hear him that day. And Jesus is also there on the seashore teaching the people and as the crowd begins to press around him, picture the scene. Wherever Jesus went, he drew a crowd. And it looks like the crowd is continuing to grow as he begins to speak. As it continues to grow, the people kind of press closer and closer to him. And you know what happens when people press closer and closer to a speaker? It becomes sort of a barrier to the sound, and the people further back can't hear very well. So Jesus, knowing all things about his creation, understands that sound carries better across the water. After all, he invented acoustics and everything else, so he gets it. So he gets into Simon Peter's boat and asks him to row out a little ways from the shore so he can teach the people more effectively. That way everybody can hear. Immediately after that lesson, Jesus apparently dismisses the crowd and begins a more private conversation with Simon Peter, setting the stage for one of the most life-changing events that Simon would ever experience. Let's begin with the command of Jesus in verses 4 and 5. Now that we've kind of set the stage, let's get into the meat of the message here. In verse 4, Jesus gives this command to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this is not a request like Jesus made earlier when he said, would you, you know, he got in the boat and said, would you row the boat out a little bit from the land? That was kind of a, a request this is actually more of a command. Uh, it's actually an imperative in the original Greek language, which means it is a command. Now, you may think from this limited context we've just discussed that Jesus and Peter are meeting for the first time. And you may think it a little bit odd that Jesus is basically giving orders to a man he just met. That is not the case, however. Peter had met Jesus the day after John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. You remember that story? He met him there, actually along with Peter, his, uh, with his brother Andrew, with Philip and Nathaniel as well, and they started following Jesus from that point on. They followed him to the wedding at Cana and saw Jesus do the miracle of turning the water into wine. This is where the Bible says that his disciples believed on him, so we would say they got saved that day. They continued to follow Jesus to Capernaum, and then on to the Passover in Jerusalem where Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. Do you remember that scene? From there they accompanied Jesus out into the Judean countryside where John the Baptist was baptizing. And actually they helped Jesus baptize some folks there as well. But at some point after that encounter, they stopped following Jesus and just went back to their normal lives. Instead of Peter and his fellow disciples joining Jesus in his work... Jesus has now had to come to their workplace in order to re-engage with them. So even though Peter already has a relationship with Jesus, this command to row out into deep water and drop the fishing nets doesn't make a lot of sense to Peter. Peter, after all, is an expert at fishing. He's probably been doing this since he was a child. And it's a family business, most likely, so his family's probably been doing this for generations. He knows just about everything there is to know about fishing. Kind of reminds you of that line from Forrest Gump where Bubba said, I know everything there is to know about shrimping. Uh, Peter knows about all there is to know about fishing. So he probably feels like Jesus is in no position whatsoever to tell him how to do his job. After all, Jesus is a great teacher and an expert in spiritual matters and maybe even the Messiah. <clears throat> but what does he know about fishing? Besides that, Peter's exhausted from being up all night fishing, and especially fishing all night and catching nothing. You guys have been fishing? No. It always feels like you're more tired when you don't have anything to show for it when you go home. That's how he feels. Nevertheless, out, just out of respect for Jesus as, as his teacher, his master teacher, Peter obeys Jesus' command, even though it makes no sense to him. He obeys his command to launch his boat back out into deep water 
and to let down the nets just one more time. Well, what is the result of that? The result is what I call the catch. The catch of fish in Luke 5, 6, and 7, listen to what verse 6 says about that catch. It's important to note how it's described because it's quite exceptional. Verse 6 says, They caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Well, when the Bible uses this phrase for a great number of fish, it uses it because there are such, there's such a large quantity that it seems impractical to even try to count them. So the Bible just says it's, it's basically a great innumerable amount of fish. So many, we don't even bother saying, you know, there's 127 sea bass and 30 of this and 40 of that. It's, it's, it's just impossible. So he says it's just a great number of fish. And it's so great that the weight, just the sheer mass of this catch of fish, is breaking the net that was designed to catch a lot of fish. Then in verse 7, it expounds on it even further and says, It's so great, the number and the mass and the weight of these fish, that they call the other fishermen from the shore that were still cleaning their nets out and all. It says, Come help us, come help us. So they come and they begin to help, and there's so many fish that both boats begin to sink from the weight of it. That's a pretty impressive catch. In fact, the catch was unbelievable to these guys. Even though Simon Peter was a seasoned fisherman who had probably seen thousands of catches by this point, both by himself and his family and his partners and other fishermen in that area, he had never seen anything like this. We can tell from Peter's reaction in verse 8 that he's never seen anything like this. So, that kind of brings us to the next section. We talked about the catch. Let's talk about the change in Peter that that catch, that moment produced. Verse 8 says this. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now I got to say, that is not the reaction we would expect, is it? We expect him to do what we would do in that situation. And what would we do? We would celebrate, would we not? If we caught the greatest catch of our lives, we would celebrate. We'd be shouting, hooting, hollering, giving high fives, fist bumping, chest bumping, maybe doing a little victory dance in the boat and just about falling out of the boat. And we got done with that, we'd just be so thrilled and happy we'd probably take off our lucky fishing cap and put it on Jesus' head. You know, the one has got that little ornamental fish hook in it that we're so proud of. Put it on Jesus' head and say, buddy, you can come fishing with us anytime. You've got a standing invitation. We'd just be happy about getting to catch that many fish. But Peter does not do what we expect him to do, and there's a reason for that. Why does he not react that way? Well, the text says he was astonished because of this catch. In the original Greek, that word astonished means, it, it actually means to be clasped or held around. He was, in other words, he was seized by his amazement at this catch. He was kind of paralyzed. It was so amazing to him, he was just kind of speechless for a moment and paralyzed by the, the awe of this catch. So it had quite an effect on him. And because this catch of fish was greater than any Peter had ever caught by his own skill and greater than he'd ever seen caught by anyone else that's partly why he's amazed the magnitude of the fish caught and the manner in which they were caught was way beyond the scope of human luck or way beyond the scope of random chance or just happening to be in the right place at the right time in other words it was obviously miraculous it could only be explained as an act of God why and how was it miraculous? Well, you see, you can think since Jesus is God, he could have used his omniscience to just simply know where the fish are, and I'm sure he did. He could have just used that to know where the fish are. In other words, he, he's a, a divine fish finder. And, and he could have said, Peter, there's a big school of fish out yonder just 30 feet to the right of that sunken tree. If you go over there, they're hovering all there just waiting on you. Go get them. But he gives no such specific instruction at all. He just says, go out into the deep. Now, if Peter, uh, 
you know, it, like I said earlier, if Peter had been given instructions to go to a specific point, we know that Jesus was still miraculous, still divine, still a miracle because he knew where the fish were. But this is even bigger than that because the, he doesn't tell Peter to row to a certain spot. He just says, go out yonder in deep water. So the only way this catch could have happened is if Jesus caused all the fish in that area to converge into one school and to swim into the net all at once. That's the only way to explain it. And Peter gets that. He realizes it. And that's why he is so awestruck by this miraculous catch of fish. He understands what it means. And what it means is Jesus is not just your typical Jewish rabbi or teacher. He's not even a master teacher or even a human Messiah. You see, only God has the ability or the power or the authority to command the fish in the sea and make them obey him. That means Jesus is God. He is the Lord. That is why Peter changes the way he addresses Jesus in this verse. Did you catch that? Remember what he called him earlier? He said, Master, you know, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. Master, it's a nice respectful term. It's, it's a term you would use to address any Jewish rabbi, respectful to him as your teacher or a leader. But notice what, Jesus, what Peter calls Jesus in verse 8. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The Greek word kurios. It's the exact same word that Thomas uses. Remember doubting Thomas when he saw the resurrected Christ and he had such a hard time believing? And he says, show me the nail prints and let me touch them and maybe I'll believe. And, and Jesus says, sure, go ahead. And he does. And what does Thomas say when he puts his hands in the nail prints in his hands? He says, my Lord and my God. Kurios, same word for Lord that Peter uses here. So Peter gets it. And he appropriately changes the way he refers to Jesus from master to Lord. And not only does he change the way he refers to him, his relationship with Jesus changes at that moment because of his realization that Jesus is not just his Savior, he is his Lord. The fact that Peter changes his title is very significant, and the effect that it has on him is very significant. Now, if Jesus is Lord, then you're, you're, we look at the second part of this. Okay, he realizes it's a miraculous catch. He realizes Jesus is more than he thought he was. But he also has this interesting response, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. We don't expect that either. But if Jesus is Lord, then that means he also knows all things, right? That means he knows everything about Peter. He knows everything that's sinful in Peter's life. That's why Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and cries, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He's really saying, Lord, I am painfully aware and ashamed of the fact that, that I stopped following Jesus for a while and that Jesus had to come and find me here at the seashore doing my favorite thing, fishing, instead of helping Jesus spread the gospel. Peter is well aware that Jesus knows that and all of his sinful acts, all of his sinful words and even thoughts. And he knows that Jesus, he's basically standing in front of the presence of God and he knows that Jesus would be perfectly just in judging him for his sin right there on the spot. No wonder he bows down in a humble posture of, of humility and, and brokenness and shame because of the realization of his own sinfulness. But the good news is, Jesus responds, in this case not with judgment, but quite differently. Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Instead of judging Peter, Jesus actually calls him back into service and promotes him to be a fisher of men instead of a fisher of fish. So uh, notice Peter's response. Peter's response this time is immediate and complete. And so is that of the other fishermen who are called to help bring in the catch. Now, we know James and John were there. We know from the other 
gospel accounts that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was there. So actually you've got Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all when they heard, when they saw this miracle and they heard the words that Jesus said, they all responded the same way. The response is immediate and complete. There's no hesitation and there's nothing left behind. There's nothing held back. Why? Because they realized Jesus is Lord, not just Savior, but Lord. And if he is Lord, then he must be Lord of all. Notice they, they forsook all. They gave it all to him. So if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all, is he? And they get that. Peter and his fellow fishermen understand this, and every one of them submits fully to the lordship of Jesus Christ from that point on. You see, when we are fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ, our obedience will become like theirs was. No hesitation. Our obedience will become easier and almost automatic because the issue is already resolved. Jesus is Lord. Therefore, he has the right to ask me or command me to do whatever he wishes, and it's my responsibility to obey. But as long as there's some area of our life that we hold on to and refuse to let Christ be the Lord of that part of our life, we're being disobedient to him. And when we harbor disobedience in our life, we will struggle in our relationship with Christ. It'll be almost impossible to grow. We'll be unable to grow closer to him. Our joy will diminish. Our witness will become ineffective. And the impact of our churches on society and the culture around us will be minimized. And isn't that pretty much where we are today in our country? The impact of the church and our society is becoming less and less. You can see it, can't you? Don't you get sad and frustrated by how rapidly our nation is declining morally and spiritually? The rate of moral decay is becoming faster and faster by the day. In the few decades that I've been alive, and that's about six, by the way, uh, I have witnessed the following stages or progression of moral decay and decline of Christian influence in America. Here are those stages as I would describe them. Evil was emboldened because the church became timid. Evil was promoted because the church became silent. Evil was tolerated because the church viewed it as harmless. Evil flourished because the church began to accept it. Evil exploded because the church began participating in it. Evil began to be legislated as Christian liberty began to be outlawed. And where I think we are now is evil is now viewed as good and good is now viewed as evil. By the way, that's uh, actually a direct quote borrowing from Isaiah 5.20 where God said to the people of Israel, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And in that same chapter, he basically says, if you stay in this place where you are, you will lose all of your freedom, you will lose all of your sovereignty, you will lose everything as a nation. And sure enough, that prophecy came true because they did not heed the words of the Lord and return to him. So how do we not become like Israel? What, what is the challenge to us here? What can we do to stop or slow this trend that we see emerging and continuing to go the same way in our country? Well, it has to start with you and me as individuals being fully submitted to Jesus in every area of our life, like Peter and his friends did. For example, just think about some of the areas of our life. Is, is Jesus the Lord of our work life? Do we take Jesus to work with us? Do we commit our work to him and ask for his help on the job? Or do we say, I got this, Jesus. I'm good at this. I can handle it by myself without you. Uh, do we allow our Christian principles to guide us as we work in the way we do our work? Do we treat others with kindness and dignity and respect? Are we fair and honest in our business dealings? Do we show patience and self-control when things go wrong? Or do we start cussing and pitching a fit like a person who doesn't have Christ in his life? Something to think about, isn't it? What about our school life? We, we spend a lot of time at work. When we're growing up, we spend a lot of time in school. Is he Lord of our school life? You say, well, surely God doesn't expect children 
to make Jesus the Lord of their life? Of course he does. If, if we're saved, if we're Christian, he expects all of us, no matter what our age, to submit to his lordship. Is he lord of our school life? Do the other kids at school know that you're a Christian? They should, shouldn't they, if Jesus is your lord. Do you do your own work and own your own grades, or do you borrow it from other students? Uh, do you treat your teacher and fellow students like Jesus would treat them? Do you do the right thing even if you're the only one doing it? Or do you do what everybody else is doing even when you know the Bible says it's wrong? How about our sports and recreation life? Is he the Lord of our sports and recreation? Do you take Jesus with you on the sports field? Are you humble when you win, giving credit to God and to your teammates? Or do you brag about yourself and talk about how much better you are than your opponents? It's not very Christ-like, is it? Are you humble when you lose, giving credit to the other team? Or do you start blaming your teammates for letting you down and causing you to lose? You know, it's not just the players, it's the fans. What do we do as, as Christian fans in the stands? Do we conduct ourselves as a Christian there? Or do we start screaming profanities when the ref makes a bad call or our team makes a bad play, just like everybody else? See, if Jesus is Lord, we will honor him and act like him, even in our sports and in our recreation. Is he the Lord of our social media? You say, what? Really? Christ expects to be the Lord of, yep, every area of our life. Would, let, let me ask you this. Would people know that you and I are Christians from what we post or what we don't post on social media? Is it clear that you're a follower of Jesus Christ or is it more clear that you're just trying to gain more followers for yourself? Is Jesus the Lord of our love life and our marriage? If you're a, a young person and you're single and you're dating and Jesus is your Lord, then you should pray for his guidance and his will about whom you date because you might end up marrying that person. So you might as well be sure that it's God's will even for you to be dating that person. The Bible has some very clear principles about dating and marriage and leaving God out of your love life will cause you to make some serious mistakes that can cause you a lot of pain for many years to come. If you're married... If you're already married, do you put Christ first in your marriage? Because you know what? It's almost impossible to love your spouse like you should if you're not first loving and submitting to Jesus like we should. Is Jesus the Lord of our political life? Oh, goodness. You know, like, it's, it's the taboo. We don't ever talk about religion and politics. Well, I've already talked about religion, so I'm already in trouble. I might as well talk about politics, too. But it's, it's a fair question. Is Jesus the Lord of our political life? Do we take Jesus into the voting booth with us? We should. If he's the Lord of all, Jesus is the Lord of our life, then every part of our life belongs to him and must be submitted to him, including our politics. Our Christian principles and values should inform in God everything we do, including the way we vote. If we leave Jesus out of our politics, he may just say, I'm going to let you reap the consequences of the ungodly leaders you elected, and we'll be on our own. What about, after, after looking at this list, you say, wow, that's a pretty long list, and that's really hard to do. Is it really the important thing that we just make sure Jesus is the Lord of our spiritual life, our church life? Okay, let's consider that. Is he even the Lord of our spiritual life? If so, it will change the way we do things, won't it? First of all, it'll change the way we read and respond to Scripture. If you've already made up your mind that Jesus is Lord, and that he's the boss, then we read scripture, we're just going to say, God said it, therefore I do it. There won't be any of the, the, uh, this statement, which we sometimes often hear. I read a scripture, it's God's word, but I may say, or people say, I don't agree with that. <laughs> do you really think God cares whether we agree with it or not? It really doesn't matter what our opinion about it is. God's not going to change it. It's still the truth, and it's still our responsibility just because God said it. Whether we agree with it or not is immaterial and irrelevant. Can you imagine if Jesus, can you imagine Jesus doing a focus group with his disciples? You know, before he rolls out a new commandment or a new teaching, can you picture Jesus saying, 
all right, fellas, gather around here by the campfire. I got this new commandment, this new teaching I'm going to roll out, and I want to see how y'all feel about it before I roll it out to the larger public and make it scripture and everything. So I want to bounce it off y'all and see how you feel about it, make sure you're not offended by it, and you tell me how you feel. And if you don't like it, I'll change it, I'll amend it, we'll dial it down, we'll dilute it a little bit to where it's more acceptable, doesn't offend anybody. And once we're all in agreement, all in alignment, then we'll roll it out to the larger public. How's that sound? You cannot picture Jesus doing that because he never did and he never would. And he still doesn't. He doesn't look at us and say, I hope this is okay with you guys. We just need to do it because God said it. It will affect not only our response to Scripture, but it will affect the way we worship. If Christ is Lord, then our worship will be just like the song you guys sang up here earlier. Thank you so much for singing that. You know, that it's all about him. We were singing, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And it's exactly as it should be. Thank you for making it all about him and your worship today. But if, if he's our Lord, then our worship will be Christ-centered, not man-centered. What do I mean by man-centered? What I mean by man-centered is a lot of what's going on in the megachurch movement today. The megachurch movement says you do whatever you've got to do to get people to come to church, whether it's biblical or not. You just figure out what people like, what people want, how they want to feel, what they want the church service to be like, and you give them that in order to get them to come. And somehow they think miraculously after you get them in the door, everything's going to be great, we'll lead them to the Lord, and they'll ignore the fact that we've been putting them first instead of Jesus first. You know, they, they'll ignore that. That's kind of what the allure of the megachurch movement is right now. They make it all about the people, all about me. Whereas... People who are submitted to the Lordship of Christ make it all about Jesus. It'll affect the way we serve. If Jesus is Lord, we will show up when we have a responsibility, sign up when there's a need to volunteer, pray up before we serve, and chin up while we're serving. What do you mean by chin up? I mean, be happy about it. Don't grumble and complain about it. My wife had this great saying when we were raising our kids about obedience. You know what I'm getting ready to say, don't you? At, my wife used to say to our kids when there was an issue, a little pushback on, on doing what mom or dad said. And they would say, well, I did that. She would say, obedience means you obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. If you haven't done those three things, you haven't obeyed. Now, what does she mean? All the way meaning completely. Did you, did you do what I said to the, all, to the letter? Completely. Did you do every part of it? Secondly, did you do it right away, meaning... Did you do it right away or did you hesitate and wait two hours and I had to remind you five times to do it? That's not obeying right away. And did you do it with a happy heart or did you complain the whole time and mumble about all the things I could have been doing instead of doing this? You know what? Jesus likes for us to serve him that way, all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. That's the way Christians obey and serve when Jesus is the Lord of our life. So in our scripture today, and I'm, I'm wrapping up, I'm, I'm kind of moving toward our decision time here. But in the scripture today, Peter had realized that Jesus was the Lord of his life. Jesus met him on his own turf, the fishing uh, experience, and he used something he understood very well, catching fish, to teach Peter that lesson. And Peter learned it. He realized Jesus was the Lord of his life. He submitted his entire life to Jesus as Lord, and it changed his life forever. Jesus used him mightily as a great leader and evangelist who became one of the pillars of the early church. And by the way, I could say the same thing about James and John and Andrew as well. All of them who committed their life to Christ that day became great men of God who did amazing things in founding and spreading the early church. But what if Peter and his friends had never left their boats and their fishing nets behind on the seashore that day that Jesus called them. Look what a life they would have missed out on. Look what we might have missed out on. How about you? Can you remember a day like that when you bowed your knee and submitted to Jesus as Lord? I remember that day very clearly in my life. I was a college student at NC State University, and I had gone on my Christmas break to Urbana, Illinois. At that time, they had a student missions conference every couple of years at the, uh, 
the University of Illinois there, and uh, they would bring speakers and missionaries from all over the world to speak to these young students who are planning how they're going to live their life and what their careers and vocations and futures will be like. And, and these men came and spoke, and I'd never been to anything like that, but the preaching just really continued to challenge me throughout the week. And I remember this, this one preacher preaching from the passage, actually it's just a little farther over than the one we're in today, Luke 6, where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Man, I, I couldn't get that out of my mind. It was just rolling around like a, a loop tape in my head. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? It was just echoing in my head the whole week. And then there were these missionaries coming and speaking, and they were talking about going to all these places and in remote parts of the world and, and reaching people there for Christ. And, and I remember thinking, that's great for you. I'm glad you did that. But I would never do that. There's no way in the world I would ever leave the comfort of the United States to go into some deep, dark, remote corner of the world that's infested with swamps and snakes and mosquitoes and no air conditioning and, you know, and all that. I just I couldn't do that. And as I said that in my heart, those words kept echoing over and over again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And I realized I was a hypocrite because I was calling Jesus Lord of my life, but I was not living it. I had this one part of my life where I was saying, God, you can't have that. I'll do all these other things. I'll be a Christian for you in church. I'll be, you know, Johnny on the spot for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'll be a good witness on the job or at school or whatever. But my future, that, that belongs to me. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I realized that's what I was saying. And I realized and was convicted that I was not letting Christ be Lord of that part of my life. And it was a pretty big part of my life. And so I said what was the most difficult thing that I'd ever said to God at that moment. I said, you know what, Lord? I got to say, being a missionary is the worst thing I can possibly ever imagine. I just think that would be the worst thing you could ever do with anybody. But you know what? If I call you Lord, even if you ask me to do that, I'm willing to do that. Even if it's the worst thing I imagine, I'm willing to do it. And I, I got to say, I thought at that moment a boat would come down from the sky and a boat would pull up to the shore to say, okay, here's your ticket to Botswana or wherever you're going, or, you know, this is it. You, you submitted, you're going out in the bush. But that didn't happen. It was as if God said to me, now that I have all of you, I can use you anywhere. Now that I have all of you, I can use you wherever you are. It wasn't until several years later that he called me into missions. And I answered the call along with my wonderful wife. But my point is, I've never regretted that day. It was life-changing for me. It was life-changing for Peter. It will be life-changing for you if you've never made that commitment. Would you bow with me as we go before the Lord and search our hearts and ask him how we should respond to this message this morning? I would ask the musicians to come if there's a hymn of invitation you have prepared. Come and be prepared to lead us in that in just a moment. But right now, let's bow our heads and hearts before the Lord. Father, thank you for this word, your word, not my words. Thank you for this word that you wrote down in a language we can understand and you allow us to hold in our hands and read from an English Bible something that many many people in the world still don't enjoy today many people don't have the ability to read the Bible in their native tongue thank you that you gave us the privilege of serving with Wycliffe Bible translators to try to go to the the many many people in the world who still haven't read the scriptures in their own language but thank you that we have been able to do that today by the grace of God and because we've been able to do that, we, we can't claim ignorance as an excuse. We know your will. We know what you expect from us. So would you just help us to have the courage and the strength to do it? Knowing that you don't judge us 
from what we've done up to this point, just like you didn't judge Peter, rather you said, I need you to get busy for me. And you called him into his life's work. I just wonder, Lord, if there's not somebody here in this group today that's right on the verge, right on the verge of submitting your lordship and letting you just open the door to a whole different chapter in their life. It may be being a missionary. It may be being a preacher, a pastor. But it may also just be in a very godly witness on the job as a nurse, a doctor, a school teacher, an engineer, whatever it may be. Whatever we do, we do better if you have all of us. Would you speak to hearts and help us to be obedient today as we respond to this invitation? In Jesus' name, amen.